All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. It's called WTF. Been doing it a while, since like 2009. On the show, Amanda Seals is here. She's a comedian, actor, musician. She was on Insecure. That was that HBO show. She was great. She has an HBO comedy special called uh, I Be Knowin'. She has a new political comedy doc coming out called In Amanda We Trust. And uh, I watched her special. I didn't. I, I knew her work on Insecure, but I, but I didn't really know her as a comic. And I watched her special. And uh, there were some things that really moved me. So I thought, well, we can talk. There were things I learned. Yeah, and not just about her, just in, in a broader way about uh, women about uh, black culture. I felt like I knew her. I felt like I knew her when she came over. So that's uh, that always is pretty good. We had a good conversation. You'll hear that later. But Richard Lewis, who's doing this sort of a, a, a video podcast called Alive and Unwell with Richard Lewis. And, you know, Richard Lewis asked me to be on it. And, of course, I'm going to do Richard Lewis's show. I mean, he was, he was on this show many years ago. You'd have to get the uh, bonus access... Uh, to hear it at this point. But, you know, I've always liked Richard Lewis. I've always thought of him as a kindred spirit. And I've always felt that we 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 kind of had almost a mystical connection for some reason. And I talked to him and, you know, he has Parkinson's and he's sort of doing this video podcast to sort of uh, stay busy, stay engaged, to to work through this stuff publicly. And it was interesting to talk to him because, like, I had a genuine feeling of love for the guy and in during that talk, I realized that he was really my model in in becoming a panel guest on Conan as opposed to doing stand-up and trying to do panel as much as possible because I always looked at Richard, that's where you sit down as opposed to stand up, as the guy who did that. And, and it was kind of interesting to make that connection and it was interesting to catch up with him. And I told him, you know, maybe we should, you know, if he wanted to feel what it would be like to get on stage in, in his battle with this particular disease, given that, you know, he can't move around as much his, his uh, he, he's a little slower than he once was. I said, look, well, let's go sit down in a small theater, you and me. And if you get this into a, a place where you can wrangle it into something that you can see uh, humor in, you know, we should, tr we should do that, you know, just so you can you feel that out. And, you know, that, that offer came from my heart and it was genuine and maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. Maybe, you know, I, even if we just sit down and have lunch, it's weird. You know, we've always talked about, you know, hanging out more, but we never did. I, who the hell knows why? But, but I guess what I'm getting at, you know, it was, it was touching, but it was heavy, you know, and that day was, the rest of the day was heavy. Yesterday or the day before yesterday, you, you know, I, I had a long day of, of, you know, battling my own demons. I'm finding that um, that when I'm processing all these horrible things that are going on around us in the world, you know, politically, culturally, climate wise, that, that sometimes it's so overwhelming for me, almost always that I, I just instead think about my own life and make that horrible. I, I, I think about my own life and, and, and turn on myself and start going over my own personal apocalypse, the arc of my life, whatever got me here. And I had a sort of uh, another sort of cathartic connection because I'm reading Naomi Klein's new book, which isn't even out yet, called Doppelganger, because I'm going to talk to her. 
And she's talking about something very specific like that. You know, what do you do if you're informed and aware of the reality of what we're going through, yet you feel powerless and you feel almost speechless because of the appropriation of the language of true, you know, information and political activism being co-opted almost immediately by uh, right-wing propagandists. It's like, you know, what do you do? And a lot of times you focus on yourself, you, you exercise, you eat better, you, you think that this is a way that's going to get you through it. When you're looking at the reality, the show you're putting on for it is, is some sort of, depending on how informed you are, either it's a defiant celebration of your denial or it's a aggressive, self-oriented show of your desire to survive in, in light of it. But so much of this happens internally or so much of it happens in our own little life. But, you know, we don't get out and get in the streets and do the thing. And, and it feels like some, somehow a lot of that has passed. You can read the books. You can talk the talk. You could say, oh, yeah, I know that. But, uh, but you know, we're really left with just the sort of reality, the existential reality of, of in our personal lives, entertaining the catastrophic by uh, thinking our, our way out of it or into some mode of living that enables us not to rationalize it, but to compartmentalize it in a way that almost either voluntarily, involuntarily defeats ourselves and defeats the possibility of organizing with other humans. But, you know, these are just realizations. All right, before I space out, I'm at Largo in L.A. on Wednesday, September 6th. I'll be doing five shows at Helium in St. Louis, September 14th through 16th. Then I'll be at uh, Wise Guys in Las Vegas on September 22nd and 23rd for four shows. In October, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon on October 20th through 22nd for five shows. Those shows are selling out. You can go to WTFPod.com for tickets. Yeah, oh, but I, I didn't finish telling you about the other day. So after a certain point, I'd just beaten myself into the ground with my with my brain and how I was looking at myself. And then I, you know, someone tweeted at me a picture of, um, uh, you know, Canada, BC specifically, and just how many fires there were. And this is, you know, sort of my my escape plan, you know, in a certain way. You know, I, I've put in, you know, the the sort of machine in motion to try to get kind of a green card to go to Canada when I can, you know, legally and without much difficulty. And, and, and there I'm looking at my, my, my dream or my escape plan, just, you know, the entire region is on fire and it, it just knocked me out, you know, and I didn't know what to do really. And it was late and, you know, and I just went to bed with that sort of, sort of, you know, you know, in, you know, in between, uh, despair and suicidal ideation and just sort of like, God, let me sleep. And I'm still sick a little bit. And I woke up and I felt better, which was only a testament to the fact that maybe sleep kind of uh, reboots you if you're lucky. But let's talk about Amanda Seals because uh, I want to get to that conversation. As I said earlier, she, you know, I didn't really know her as a comic and and I could tell that she you know, she's obviously performed a lot. And then when I did a, a little research, she comes from more of the spoken word tradition. But it was very, you know, sort of engaging. And she was very kind of uh, persistent and unflinching in terms of 
her rhythm and her ideas. And, you know, she was getting laughs, but, but also there was something elevating about it. But there was also something she was, you know, talking about in terms of, of race and in terms of women that I, I, I really never heard as a personal story. And I didn't know the Black National Anthem. And I, I heard her talk about um, relationships and sex in a way uh, from her point of view as a woman, as a black woman, that I'd, I'd never quite, uh, I'd, I'd never heard spoken of personally. And, and it was, um, you know, it was moving and it was informative and, you know, and I got a sense of who she was. So I was happy to have her on. So her new political comedy doc in Amanda We Trust is available to buy directly at inamandawetrust.com. And the special, I believe, I watched on uh, on HBO. And you can do that if you'd like. I'd be knowing. And this is uh, my conversation with Amanda Seals. So I don't know you. I've never met you. Why is that? We just in different worlds? Um, I think you excelled to another level before I would have been in a space where you were yeah he came up after me mm -hmm. but i watched uh like i didn't i, I knew you from uh, insecure and i knew uh i knew who you were and then i watched your special because i was like you know okay i could have her on but like it, what is she <laughs> and then uh <laughs> what does this lady do what is she wait are we recording now are we yeah, doing yeah, this yeah. okay what does she do but uh but no but i watched the special it's kind of interesting because I don't I don't know that I I'm not jaded but I don't know that I I, I things it. resonate with me, mm -hmm. but for some reason I I was like you, you know I could talk to her, <laughs> she seems that honest she's done some thinking about herself yeah I like the the uh, the framing of uh, I like that whole bit about you know deciding just to have sex with somebody, and you and and not knowing how that's going to land and you think you have a handle on it and then all of a sudden you don't it gets yeah. What did you say? Sometimes the dick the touches, dick touches the, heart. the heart, bro. You didn't see it coming, literally. So. Then, but how does that turn out in the long run, generally? In in the in the uh, 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 events where the dick has touched the heart, how long does it stay there? It depends. Mm. It depends. I mean, I've had scenarios where it's a quick, it's a quick jaunt. Yeah. But then there's other times where because of distance, also, you know, the distance plays with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they come back around. Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. this again. Yeah. yeah. But that's not great. No, none of this is great, Mark. <laughs> none of this is great. So you're trying to find uh, the shit that's great in the midst of it. Yeah. So know. that, you know. How are you relationships in general? I'm sorry this is starting out like this, but I guess I've, I have it on my mind. I've gotten... Um, do we mean romantic relationships only or friendships? Yeah, no, I mean like, like, cause like I've been around and I've been married a couple of times. I have no children and I'm not good at the relationships and I've been what thinking makes you about not good? it. Honestly, mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about this a lot. That's dope. Lately. Good. You know, cause I'm old and like you get to a certain age where you're like, well, it's just the way I am. And then, no. and then you get to another point where you're like, well, maybe I can <laughs> at least try. try. Yeah, but it, uh, I feel like I've tried before, but maybe not hard enough. I don't. I've, I don't. I don't trust people that well. Intimacy is kind of uh, a little threatening to me for some Why? reason. If you say for some reason, it's because you need to find out what the reason is. Well, I know. Well, I think I know what the reason is. It's like uh, old family shit. It's old, you know, childhood shit. But it it 
these things will just hold you hostage. Yes. For your whole fucking life. Yes. And either you gotta, you know, work through it and try or, yes. or you just sit in this. What about you? Yes. If I'm gonna be divulging. I am a new person. Since begin being in my last relationship. Because I realized in that relationship yeah. that I was I realized right before that relationship that I was showing up with toxicity. And I had never admitted that to myself. Mm. I was like, I had a codependency about me that I that showed up in ways that I didn't know. Oh, Um, codependent thing. Like where you think you're being helpful, but you're really being controlling. Oh yeah, that's a good one. You know, so that was that was like that was the big one. Like I'm thinking, like, look, resources. You know, hey, how about you do this? And then it really is like you're trying to control the outcome or change the person. Well, here's here's the thing about the changing of the person. Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, we should all be changing. Evolving. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think at one point I took that as a bad thing. Yeah. But I'm really glad that I've changed. Like, yeah. I'm, like, really proud of myself for fucking changing. It's And it's sticking. Yes. So, see, this is the thing that's about- the problem, by well, that, the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, sticking. It, it, that's good, though. Because <laughs> it gets- Well, yeah, but when it sticks- Yeah. Other people you, don't stick. Of course. Yeah, yeah. you got let let people go, let old habits go. You have really go. good energy, by the way. I don't even say shit like that, but you do. I feel oh. really good here. Oh, good. You do too. That's why I had you on. Thanks. <laughs> I watched the special. I'm like, what this is what is this? <laughs> so <laughs> what <laughs> what is this? But the codependency thing, that's real. Like as I abandonment issues. I don't know if I, I those I, are mine. Really? Oh yeah. And they go back. Yeah, because you find out that like you don't gotta have you you don't have to have gone through some crazy fucking shit where you had like addiction and all this cra- for it to have that. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It can really just be as basic as like your dad wasn't into it. Yeah, no, <laughs> re- uh, totally. I I mean I've been talking about that stuff on stage a little bit, just about the nature of which trauma does it, the business. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't get through life without trauma, and some are worse than others. But in the big picture, which ones are the ones that really fuck you? And sometimes it's not the one you think. Nope. So where'd you grow up? Orlando and L.A. Orlando. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I got to be careful because I, I upset the city of Orlando once. The 407? The ozone? Yeah, the, the whole... <laughs> I made some comments about the nature of the city based on my very short experience there staying in a hotel near the theme park where I did a show at the Hard Rock there, whatever it is. Yeah. And I judged the city based on that particular three-block radius, and I got a lot of drive. shit. Yeah. I drive. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to Dr. Phillips High School. It's like a stone's throw. Dr. Phillips High School. The best. Yeah. What is that? DP. Ah, uh, DP. Why do I feel like I know somebody? Did Wayne Brady go there? Yes, he did. Oh my God! I fucking I rarely remember anything. That's impressive. Well, I talked to him. Yeah, and I remember he, you know, talked about that place. See, we all talk about it because it's the fucking best. What What was the story with that place? Uh, well, when he went there, it was just opening. But then when I got there, there was a visual and performing arts magnet, and Joey Fatone went there from Insync, and yeah. Louise Fonzi, Eddie Wong went there. Yeah. Um, but. It's a performance art school? Yes. Uh, Ashley Drain, who is the voice of Ahsoka Tana from Clone yeah. Wars, went there. But it's like, DP is an institution. Yeah. And we were called Gucci High. Yeah. It was like one of these weird places where there's a convergence of so many different types. Like, it was a truly diverse experience. Creative types. Not just creative types. I mean, it was a magnet in the school. Yeah. 
But it was a regular high school. So yeah. we were also like a really big sports school. Was it private school? Public. Really? Yeah. And it's just like, but you could you could figure out a way to go there even if you didn't live in the... Yeah, so like, of course, they're like, okay, well, we want to win sports. So they bust all the hood yeah, 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 <laughs> to yeah. the school. Yeah. And then, you know, they had like a center for international studies. So yeah. then the rich kids were able to get there. Oh, wow. If you got into a magnet, then you could be from anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I oh, lived so like Also magnet school. Yeah. That's the difference. It's public, but it's special. It, yeah. It has like specialized programs. I get programs. it. Yeah. Like the School for the Performing Arts in New York or something. Exactly. Yeah. So now your folks knew, are you, how many siblings you got? I mean, my dad has four kids. Oh yeah. But I grew up by myself with my mom. That's weird because this is like Wayne too. He, I think he was the only child. Mm-hmm. Mm. So your dad was, uh, they weren't married. No. when you Oh. Ever. She met my dad when she was selling the house that her husband was like holding her hostage with. <laughs> oh. She so, was like, if I, she was like, I'm never going to get out of this marriage unless I sell this house. Yeah. And so when she was selling the house, my dad actually came to look at the house, and that's how they met. Okay, so this is from her old marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, exciting. And she was infertile. They told her she couldn't have the kids for yeah. ten for ten years. So she thought she was yeah, she was good. Yeah, and then like, six months in, it was like ta-da! But they were together for a while. No. <laughs> this is a one one shot deal. Yeah, I, yeah. Really? I mean, I was. I was destined to be here, I suppose. Sure. Um, I mean, my dad is an incredibly, like, brilliant person. He's just not a good person. What's that? Well, yeah, that happens. Yeah. What What is his story? Some of it I'm not even really sure. Like, Do you have a relationship with the guy? Not anymore. Oh, but you did, kind of? I mean, I knew him well enough to decide I don't like you. Yeah. Like, my mom made it, my, made it her business for me to know him. Yeah. Um, And without any, like, she was never, like, talking bad about him. Like, she was completely... Like, fully just objective. Well, where, where's that guy come from? What's his deal? He's from Roxbury, Boston. I know Roxbury, Boston. Uh, Went to school really close to there. Yeah? Yeah, in Milton. Milton. Yeah, in um, Roxbury, Boston. That's a heavy neighborhood. Yeah, and he... And what was he doing in Florida? He wasn't in Florida. This was in L- I was born in L.A. Oh, this is in L.A. Yeah, so he was in med school in L.A. So he's a doc. He has an M.D. Uh-huh. But he's... <laughs> <laughs> see where <laughs> see this, this guy's a real character, huh? He is, uh, yes. But then here I am. I mean, yeah. part of that. I mean, that's why I'm a character. And where, where's your? But your mom was basically the primary person. My mom was the primary person. She's from Grenada. I don't know anything about Grenada. No. Do you have relatives there? Mm-hmm. Do you go there? Yes. Is it? It's uh, Caribbean. Yes, very much so. And uh, is it part of your life? It's been a big part of my life. Yeah. I had a very traumatic experience happen there recently. So Recently? Yes, in December. So I'm very, like, hands-off right now. Of Grenada. Yeah. I need to, like, I don't know. Somehow that'll work itself out. But right now I'm just like, mm. The entire country is on the no-go list. Correct. What happened? I'm not talking about it. Okay. That's fine. But before <laughs> this, you but- had an okay relationship with Grenada. I have a very, I mean, everyone knows I'm from Grenada. Like, yeah. It's like that. Like when Karani James won the 400 meter, yeah. like in the Olympics and won the first gold medal for Grenada, like people were like congratulating me. Oh, really? <laughs> I have dual citizenship. Really? Yes. Like, I mean, it's a, it, like I usually wear a Grenada charm, but I'm like on the fritz right now. So I was like, mm. what's it? What is like, uh, tell me because I'm stupid. I'm smart with some things, but dumb with others. Like what is, uh, what is the, what's the politics of Grenada? <clears throat> 
So Grenada is the second to the last island of the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, it's above Trinidad, below, yeah. below the Virgin Islands, to the very close uh, to Venezuela yeah. and to South America okay. and then to the west of Barbados, which made it a really great location for Cuba to come and build some things. So they built our uh. airport. And then uh, Maurice Bishop, who was leading a revolution in Grenada, was working with Fidel Castro. And uh, America got shook ones about it and invaded. Uh, Grenada. So, yes. Right. When was that? 83. I, I kind of remember I that. was confused if it's 81 or 83. Right, because Cuba was training there. Yes. I remember. So they built our, they literally built our airport, which is now Maurice Bishop uh, International Airport. But Maurice Bishop was an incredibly... A charismatic and very brilliant man who was betrayed by his uh, right hand, yeah. uh, Bernard Cord, when America convinced Bernard Cord, like, hey, if you get this guy out, you know. So it's a gonna... coup. It's, I mean, always, yeah, right? Sure. Um, they ended up putting Maurice and his pregnant girlfriend up against a firing squad and took them out. Uh, Grenada really? is a, sup- a like a superbly political place. Like we, everybody in Grenada, like. Civics is a part of the culture, sure. which is what I would love to see happen with black folks in America. That's is, what the new uh, project is about, right? Yes. It is the only way that we will create the change we wish to see. And we've seen proof of that in the past. So there's no reason to not believe that. But Grenada as a country is full of funny, like it's a hilarious place. Yeah. Like the people of Grenada are funny. Yeah. Like if you really want to like see some funny folks, yeah. don't, don't go there yeah. and expect to leave without a nickname. They'll come up with something for you. (laughs) And you can choose to use it or not. Yes. So like my mom, like literally my mom gave people nicknames in high school that like they they have followed them. stuck? Yes. Well, that's interesting about civics because I'd like you, if you could, to spread it out to white people as well. I I don't think you should be exclusive because we all need to learn about civics. Well, no, you can be (laughs) exclusive. That's like, is that right? Well, I mean, but just for me, I mean, like, you know, even me coming up when I took the job at Air America, which was a lefty political, I I realized that I in high school, because I didn't give a fuck, Mm -hmm. didn't get basic civics. Yeah. And certainly with public schools, the way they've been gutted, Mm -hmm. like almost nobody gets any sort of basic civics. Like, I believe that almost nobody really knows how the government works. And I believe how, like, you have all these pundits and people with opinions and, you know, ideologically Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sort of dubious podcasters. Dubious. Yes. points for Gryffindor. uh, You know, that really have no sense of it. And they're just reacting on the basis of what? Personality? On the basis of gossip? On the basis of clickbait? Yeah, on the basis of fame. Sure. It's just a ploy. But, yeah, yeah, but it it has impact. Yes, it does. You know, you you can move masses of people, you know, based on utter bullshit. Correct. And that's what's happening, and that's how fascism happens. I mean, I'm just letting you spell it out, because this is really how it all works. Yeah, and... uh, An entire genocide happened in Rwanda because of, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was an impetus that happened long before it, but ultimately the final catalyst was a radio host. That was the Tootsies and the Hutus, and, and, and I always think about it. The, the thing I think about that, uh, about Rwanda the most, is that neighbors, you know, at the turn of a, of a just a, on a yes. dime, yes. killed their neighbors. Yes. Like, these are people two doors down kind of shit. Correct. And, you know, the fact that that is possible. It's happening here. I never, th- I, I think about it constantly. It's happening here. Yeah. It is happening here. I mean, I live in Florida. I mean, yeah. my mom lives in Florida. Yeah. And I've seen her neighbors now put, you know, DeSatan flags outside. Well, DeSantis, but I call him DeSatan. Yes. You know, flags outside and they start, you know, really flossing their American flags, which is just really 
you know, one AR-15 away from taking you out. If sure. I see a flag, yeah. I know you got a gun in there. And I know you got Fox News on. Sure. Right. And that, and that to me is a kit. Yeah. For the KKK. It's a KKK kit. Yeah. No, I, I, look, I mean, whatever the hell he did to Florida. I mean, I never thought I'd see a day where Jews left Florida. <laughs> <laughs> is that happening for real? I, I, I don't know. My mom's still there. But, you know, that used to be the place Boca. where. Boca. She's in Hollywood. Not quite the Boca. My grandmother was in Boca. But. <laughs> But, I know uh, where Hollywood, Florida is too. I mean, I think. But it's, they also are, di- they are disconnected from it. You know, they don't quite, you know, understand or, or process what's really happening. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, they're choosing not to. You know, I think, for, I think to be Jewish in this country and, you know, not process or realize what's happening is actually really deleterious because that's ultimately. That's a good word. I'm not even sure I know, know what it means. Well, it's, it's not serving your best interests. That's for sure. Because ultimately, I mean, if yeah. anybody know yeah. <laughs> how quick the t- the table can turn. Yeah. I mean, Crystal Knox was the beginning of your sure. neighbors being like, oh, yeah, that business that I've been. Well, well let me ask you that, this and like, you know, out of curiosity, because like, look, I had, you know, that I don't quite understand, you know, black anti-Semitism, you know, it, it, you know, in you a don't? general way. Not really. I mean, I've. You know, there is this sort of idea I have that I'm, I'm sure is faulty, that generalizing Jews, you know, in a sense, it, you know, as a, you know, j- just looking at them as one group, like there's, there's nine of us. Can know. I tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what it is. First of all, generalizing, I think, happens just in general. Sure. Right? Of it's course. like, because Mexicans would be like, we're Mexican. Yeah. We're not, like this Latinx thing sure. is, is what, you know, what you yeah. created, I but get it. we're yeah. us, right? Um. So ultimately, I think that there's a a dance that happens. I don't know if dance is the word, but basically it's like sometimes we are a group and sometimes we are saying that we're not a monolith. Black yeah. people do the same thing, yeah, right? right? So sometimes it's like, well, no, there's all different types of Jewish people, right? There's right. Ashkenazi, there's Sephardic, there's yeah. uh, Orthodox, yeah, there's, right, you know, sure. I'm just chill, I'm, you know, yeah. there's J-Date, like yeah. there's that. Yeah. But then sometimes it feels like there's a... Um, a generalization that's being weaponized, right? Right. right. Where right. if you say one thing, it's like, well, no, you're talking about all Jews. It's like, well, no. If I say that I don't think that there should be a occupy an occupation of Palestine, yeah, uh, by the Jewish people who are occupation occupying Palestine, yeah. right? Yeah. If I say that, I'm not talking about all the Jews. That's right. I'm talking about the Jews sure. who feel like it's sure. okay to occupy Palestine. Yep. Well, I think these generalizations, like what we were talking about before, when you get people that are unsophisticated and uneducated and, and want to serve their grievances and their anger, they generalize. Yep. Right? It's comf- It's easy. It's but then, lazy. But then that's where the big problems start. You know, that's where, that's where it starts. You know where the real big problem starts? Yeah. That critical thinking is not like the hot shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I wish critical thinking was really some shit that people were really trying to make happen. Like, well, I'm trying to get up my critical thinking. I yeah. wish it was sexy. Well, but I just wish that people could just be left alone to live their fucking lives. I don't know why the fuck people don't want to do that. I don't know. But, uh, living is so strenuous. Yeah. Just living your own life. Yeah. Is so strenuous yep. that I'm just like, how do you even have the, the energy? Time. Well, some people put their entire <laughs> life into it. They have they have time on their hands. Maybe there's employment problems. <laughs> Maybe there's mental problems, and they that's their job. Yeah. So that's okay, their purpose in quotes. Yeah. So after you leave Phillips, mm-hmm. DP, DP. I went to uh, nice. I went to undergrad at SUNY Purchase. So you went up there. Yeah, I was always a New Yorker. Mm. Like in I your was, heart. 
Yeah, like I'm just like trans New Yorker. Mm. Like I was born in another place, but I was always that. Yeah, I feel that way too. My, uh, my, I'm genetically New Jersey, but I grew up in New Mexico, but New York was always a, yeah. a thing. Yeah. So you go to SUNY Purchase and what, you continue the, uh, the, the entertainment? What do you do? I went to Purchase as an acting major. Uh, it was a conserv- it's a conservatory. Yeah. So I went there for a year as an acting major. Then I ended up uh, I ended up getting asked to take a year off uh, because someone lied about me. Huh? So they like they like keep their ranking by yeah. cutting people. Mm. Oh, like Juilliard or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were number two after Juilliard, so it was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they keep their ranking by cutting people, and so he thought, well, if I sacrifice Amanda, then I'll be like less likely to get cut. Yeah. So he like came up with this whole cock on both story, and then the the no shit the uh, the white racist <laughs> teacher believed it and like made it her mission. Even though I'd had straight A's the entire year, she heard this story from this this person and decided she was going to make it her business to get me kicked out. She couldn't get me kicked out because I had had straight A's the entire year. Huh. Um, but then it also, like, it served, it made it easy for them. So they were like, okay, well, we'll have you take a year off. Uh, so I had my entire, I well, I asked my entire class to write yeah. letters in support of me. Yeah. They all did. Yeah. And I went to the appeal. And yeah. the appeal process, they said, uh, we can't take the word of 25 students over a tenured professor. So we're not going to kick you out. We'll give you a year off. And so wow. I was just like, all right. So I went back and I took my core classes. And then I was like, well, I don't actually want to go back to this conservatory so I can spend the next three years doing Chekhov. Like, I really just actually don't think that's what I want. And then I found out I could create my own major. So didn't have a black studies major there, but I created. Purchase. Yeah, at the time. They do now. Yeah. Uh, so I created my own major. Black studies with a concentration in the visual and performing arts. And then I graduated on time still. Yeah. And I did the commencement speech and I was able to get in that ass. Yeah. Did, <laughs> uh, did you teach that uh, tenure professor a lesson? I mean, I think the lesson she learned, I, you can't know, you can't teach racist white women a lesson. Like they're just, you know, they're convinced that the superiority is what it is. And anything you do outside of that is is what serves you. I, I don't know where that shit comes from. Where racism comes from? Well, just that where people are unchanging in their views and make these, you know, generalizations. Maybe I'm too sensitive and needy of connection. But like when I see these people lose their minds, like mm-hmm. on TikTok, it's like, what is that? I mean, I think people are, I would love to, I hope that when I die again, yeah, that I like get to talk to like whoever really, like however we really got here so I can understand like we are like faulty machines. You know what I'm saying? That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> so I think just some people's faulties, faults like yeah. are like literally like miswirings that just never got corrected. And they let it define them. Yeah. And then it, because of their blind spot or, or whatever, they like, don't want to acknowledge. It. Yeah, they, that's, a, that's what I'm talking about, the doubling down on intolerance. They own it, though. It becomes like this is the thing that's going to be my and thing. And then they justify it intellectually. Mm-hmm. So what did that black studies major consist of? What did you, how did you structure it? Um, so you had to combine two schools. So mm. they had like a school of science, a school of social sciences, a school of theater, arts, and film, and uh, the math, uh, that was math was in school of science, and then liberal arts. Yeah. Uh, and so I combined theater, arts, and film with uh, social sciences. Mm. And so it was black studies. That was the social science part yeah. of it uh, with the concentration in the visual and performing arts. So I was able to keep all of my credits that I had gotten right. that first yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I will forever thank the dean at the time, Richard Nassisi, um, because he made it possible for me to graduate on time by using common sense. 
versus just, you know, policy. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, if you don't, if you have to take Spanish, you will not graduate on time because of the way it's offered. You know, sometimes classes are only offered in the spring or whatever, whatever. Yeah. And he was like, I would like to try to figure out a way for you not to have to take Spanish so that you can graduate on time. Right. And Did you figure it out? He did. Like, he took my transcripts from high school and he's like, you've never gotten lower than an A in every single How are you quarter. with languages? You know, I'm not. Um, I'm not like a linguistically like gifted person. I took a stupid test in college to get out of a French requirement. I just was like, I'm incapable. Of doing it. <laughs> I mean, I, I just can, couldn't do it. I can structurally make it make sense, but yeah. it never becomes like fluid. Right. You know, it's yeah, always yeah, yeah. like this is the word that means yeah. this thing. Bolsa. Yeah. You know, yeah, boligrafo. Right. The the the. It seems like the root of it is almost math. In yes. terms of switching tenses, yes. and it's like, I can't. I don't I have, my brain doesn't do that. Mine neither. So I stayed there, and I started doing spoken word, and so then I got on Deaf Poetry Jam. Wait, that was, so that was in college? Mm-hmm, yeah. So that was before you went, you went to graduate school? Yes. So you started doing Deaf Poetry Jam at, when you were at SUNY? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's interesting, like, when, when I watch the stand-up, because I can tell that you're, you're sort of rooted in that tradition, in a way. Really? Yeah. How? What, do you, what gives it away? The rhythm? Well, no, there's like, um, there's a, a, a follow through that isn't fundamentally insecure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Chris told me something similar. Chris. Rock. Okay. When I opened for him. Yeah. He was like, you're unflappable. Right. And I was like, I don't know how to take that. And he was like, well, even if the joke doesn't land the way you want it to, like you're not shaken. Like yeah. you don't feel the need to like explain it. You're just like, well, that was that. Let's keep moving. Well, that's, I think that is specifically swam poetry uh, yes. uh, chops. Fascinating. I never thought of it that way, but that's true. You know, like, you know, you got to follow through. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going somewhere. Yeah, yes. Whether you're on board or not, maybe you'll jump on later. Yes. We're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's different. You know, with a comic, it's usually joke to joke and the struggle. <laughs> You know, is refreshed every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Mark, epiphanies. That's so true. It's like, I know where we're ending up. Yeah. I mean, my stand-up changed once I stopped trying to convince the audience I was funny. Right. Well, yeah. Well, uh, that's interesting. So did you, when was that? I mean, because like, okay, so fundamentally... You know, when you're doing the the comedy jam stuff, that's its own, it was its own world. I don't know what that world looks like now, but there was a time, and I imagine it was around that time, that it was a world. Deaf Poetry Jam was a time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I knew a couple of white dudes that did it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, I knew a dude that did it, and he was a comic, and then he got into that because, you know, he I think he felt like he could more thoroughly execute his ideas. Right. Okay. But, of course, as a... a, a, a a true comic, I'm like, you know, come on, dude. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Come you know, back, get yeah. back into the into the into the, the real mud. shit. Yeah. yeah. But but for some reason when I watched you, I understood it. And I also understood the idea of of having a point of view that is is almost specifically meant to uplift. Yes. Right? And I, I think that that's a a poetic intention. In some ways that, you know, you're speaking a certain truth in a certain way, but it's meant to sort of validate and uplift, you know, whether it's a community or women or whatever, you know, there is self-expression, of course. you know, but that's that. But it seems like that special, you were bonding yeah. with uh, uh, experiences, I think, of primarily black, black women. women. Yeah. You know, honestly, I mean, you know this, like your first special is 
the entire life that you've lived up until that point. Every special age. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know. I feel like that first one, though, is everything you've done. Then you're tr- you're like, I'm going to get it all and he- I'm going to make it make sense. Because I don't know that a lot of us at the first one think there's going to be more after that. Right. But I don't think I had the feeling that you're explaining until my last one where like I could see all what 35 years of experience, you know, in different places. Mm. I could see my influences. I could see, you know, my confidence in, in, in mm-hmm. executing things that I might not have been able to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I understand what you're saying. I, I think for my special, my first special, I was just sort of I, I fucked it up. But well, I, how old were you when you first special? I did a half hour for HBO when I was 32, maybe. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I kind of, it was ridiculous. I, I, I mean, it worked out all right because I, I did something in the middle that i never done before. It was completely improvised. And, uh, nice. But I was in a different zone. I was in this weird kind of like, man, just, you know, wing it zone. The wing it zone is a wild time. It is, man. <laughs> but you were, but so like, like, talk to me about, so this was a period? The, 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 the spoken the, word? Yeah. And then you went to graduate school? Yeah, so, you know, I started doing spoken word because I was, like, someone had told me, you should rap. So I'm the kind of person where, like, if you suggest that I should try something, you know, and it's not going to harm me, I'm like, yeah. What do I know? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. (laughs) So, like, my homeboy was like, you should rap. You have a good voice. You should rap. I'm Mm. like, okay. So then I started trying to rap. I couldn't rhyme on beat. But you did music, though. Uh, Well, I eventually could rhyme on beat. But at the time, I couldn't rhyme on beat. And then I discovered spoken word, which was not a thing that was happening in Orlando. Right. Uh... And so it was like, oh, well, this is like rap, but like, I don't got to, like, I'm making the beat. Yeah. And I would, I, I have written so much, Mark. Like, and I have everything. Yeah. I have everything. Like when I die, yeah. they'll have so many, I'm, I'm going to outdo Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah. posthumous project. You better plan where your estate's going to be left. <laughs> and, or you're, you're sort of I, like, which library? I actually did. Yeah? Yes. Is it Columbia? Um, or where is it? Uh, the National African American History Museum of Arts and culture. Okay. Of history and culture. And they've agreed? Well, we'll see. <laughs> or not. <laughs> They'll just get boxes. And they'll be like, where'd this come from? Trump's bathroom. Yeah. Um, so I really was like, okay, I'm going to do this spoken word thing. And then they're like, I was good at it. Like, yeah. it was just one of those things. You know, you try yeah. it and you're like, oh, like, I actually like, like this. I'm good at it. And uh, I submit, I was able to submit to Deaf Poetry Jam. And then I got selected. The, I hope... That I experienced at least one more time in my life, the level of joy mm. that I experienced finding out I made Deaf Poetry Jam. I can remember it like right now. It's like in my cells. Sure. Yeah. Um, Are we capable of that level of joy when like a first turn of, you know, validation happens? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a specific thing. I think you can have as much joy, but it'll be different. It'll be different. Yeah. Right. It but was, I know what you mean. It's like yeah. my first Letterman. I was like... Euphoria. And, yeah, but then you do it and you're like, I think I did all right. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Same. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. I, 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 I would have liked to have just stayed in the joy of getting it. Yes. Because doing it did not bring me the same joy. I mean, like, I just got another book deal and it's like, yay! And then yeah. you're like, oh, I got to write. I gotta oh, write dude, this. I'm never going to write another book. goddamn book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, this How'd your one... last book do? It did well. Yeah. But I think it would have done better had I just had better support. If I, I don't think it would have done But that's done always the case with books. Well, I think, you know what? I mm. also just didn't, there was just a lot of naivete. What was it called? Small Doses. And what was the angle? 
Um, my podcast is called Small Doses, and people had been really telling me, like, we'd love for yeah. you to put this on paper and somehow. Sure. So Small Doses, my podcast, had been about just kind of my ideologies about yeah. life and yeah, living yeah. and thinking. Yeah. So I put that on paper as, like, a resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's sure. lists, there's sure. essays, there's yeah. stories. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful book. I, I have my drawings in there. Oh, yeah. Like, it it really is a first, it's a first au revoir of work that I can really, like, stand on sure. as, like, this is Amanda yeah, yeah. at this time. Nice. Uh, but um, I did. I, I over-trusted The publishing house? All of it. Yeah, their publicists are terrible. All of it. You just got to go. And then like the the publishing house. I didn't, I didn't speak to the, the woman in marketing until two weeks before. Yeah, the, and, and I was like, you know, I really find it problematic that this is the first time I'm speaking to you. Yeah. And I said it in this exact tone. And she said, well, you don't have to be angry. Uh-huh. And... Let me tell you something. You want to see a black woman get angry? Tell them they don't have to be angry. Correct. <laughs> so how, how did that go? That went, I know you didn't just sit up on this phone and tell me I'm angry for telling you that it is in, it is actually inappropriate that this is the first time I'm hearing about you because that means you're not doing your job well. And I said to my editor, you can finish this call because I'm going to get angry and yeah. we don't want that. Well, that's the thing about about publishing and about publicists and publishing. It's notoriously true. They don't have much angle. It's all on us now. And you know yeah. that. Yeah. All right, so you're going to do another book. Yeah, I'm excited, What's though. this one? Body Waving Through the Bullshit. Mm. Uh, laughing Through Tough Times. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think uh, I've come to realize that my transparency is a big part of my philanthropy. Like, people really, like, feel yep. like I, somehow me being honest about my experiences, like, is very, like, uh, cathartic, cathartic. Not just for me though. For that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, but uh, yeah, that's what I felt in that special. You know, because I was watching it. And I'm like, all right. And then that, you know, that the center bits, and then also the sort of elation of the audience around things that being I know nothing seen. about. Yeah, I. But being I'm not. I'm not being seen. But I was moved by them being seen. <laughs> per my previous email. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean that that was a really beautiful experience for me like getting a standing in the middle of a set is like yeah but i'm watching it and i'm moved (laughs) but i don't know that song (laughs) (laughs) lift every (laughs) how am i gonna know that song i should that's the joke i do now exactly right exactly so i mean there's an academic there's an academia and scholarship in my work that just doesn't go away because that's what inspired me to like i didn't go to college because I wanted to be smarter, I went to college because I was an artist who wanted depth in my work. So that always being there has stayed there. So what was graduate school like? Graduate school was African-American studies at Columbia. Um, two years? Two years, yep. And uh, two of the best years ever. I was also a VJ at the time. So I I became a VJ on MTV at the same time. Oh, yeah. Was that... Uh, uh... When you were Amanda Diva? Oh my God, Mark! I did. I wrote one thing down. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> before he came over. Actually, too, I wrote Amanda Diva Poetry Jam, <laughs> and that was enough for me to enough. believe I could talk to you. <laughs> you know what? You got to know your strengths. Um, I mean, listen, that was another. It's fascinating to me that I lived a whole ten years as another name. Uh huh. It was and 10 that, years? Yes. And that at this point in my life, there are people that I have very strong, full relationships with that know nothing about Amanda that time. Amanda Diva? Yeah, they don't even know that. There's going to be people listening right now. They're like, what the hell are you talking well, about? Well, let's talk about Amanda Diva then. So you're in graduate school. Yeah. Uh, you're doing the, uh, what was the, did you, what was the full 
degree you were going after? African-American studies with a concentration in hip-hop. And did you, was that your own construction or did they have that? It was mine because I was also a host on Sirius Satellite Radio at the time. Amanda Diva was? Yes, I was. Uh, It wasn't Sirius XM yet, but my job out of college was a host on Sirius. And then nine months later... So that was your show business, uh, that was your first sort of like real job and show business was hosting. No. No. I mean, my first real job in show business was on My Brother and Me on Nickelodeon. Okay. So I've been SAG since 94. Okay. So I... When was my brother and me? How old were you then? 95. I was 12. Oh, so you were, I didn't realize you were a child actress. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. How was that time? It was good because my mom was not a momager. So where, how did you do that show? You were in Florida? Yeah. And they shot there or you just... Yeah, co- remember, they built like Nickelodeon Studios at Universal and it's literally five minutes from my oh, house. Oh, so they were, they needed people. Yeah. They were like, they can drive right over? Great. Great. No shit. Yeah, and so I booked that, and I was only supposed to be on two episodes, but they liked my work, so they had me on the rest of the season. But I was supposed to be on the full season, and I ended up not being on two more episodes, not because they didn't want me, but because my mom was like, well, we already have a trip planned to Maui. Shout out to Maui. She was like, we already have a trip planned to Maui, so she needs to, I'm I'm not taking her out, I'm I'm not going to take away that experience from her to do this show. (laughs) Huh. So that's interesting. So the seed was planted early on, show business. Yeah, I mean, I was always... Were you Amanda Diva when you were 12? No, I was loud, though. Oh, yeah. But I was always just... I knew when I was 11 that I was going to be somebody. Like, I made a... I remember having the conversation in my room. Like, you know what? You need to start writing on your calendar what, yeah. you, what you've done every day because people are going to care. They're going to want to know. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you you were special to you. I guess, yeah. Well, that's uh, it's wild because, like... Uh, but you knew it was going to be in... in entertainment or in in performing i was just good at it like it was something i didn't have to try okay so moving up back to serious grad school school. so what is the what is the concentration in hip-hop so because i was at serious at the time they had like all these old school heads that were on the air all the time so i'm like i'm in a studio and like in front of me is mc light to the left of me is curtis blow to the right of me is grandmaster flash Behind me is Red Alert. So I had access to all of these architects yeah. of, of our culture. Yeah. So I, I, I uh, supplemented all of, my, all of my essays, all of my uh, papers had interview. Yeah. So it's archival study. Yeah. So I was able to do these. I was able to like make every paper. I would somehow make it about hip hop. I would somehow attach it to hip hop in some sort of way. Oh, so you were just going down the hall? Yes. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it was literally like, hey. That's convenient. Like, they, you, you have all these, these... I mean, I think it's perspective, right? You would call it convenient, but it's also just like, these people are here? How could I not... No, yeah, I get it. I get it, but it was fortunate. Yes. That, it was serendipitous. Uh, yeah, fortuitous. I mean, sure. I will say this. I had already... Fortuitous is nice. I, was, I had already started working there, so I knew that this existed. Yeah. And so when I filed for my degree, like, it was like, oh, like, this is possible. Yeah. So now you, you have a master's? In African American studies and hip hop, <laughs> <laughs> which now that we're celebrating the fifty years of hip hop, it's fascinating because I put up some like slideshows on Instagram the other day of yeah. just like me with all these hip hop people, and people yeah. are like, "Wait a minute, you, you you're a hip hop icon." I was like, "Okay, I'll take it." Are you? I believe so. I've been here this whole time. Yeah, it's never wavered. I mean, I guess I, I would say I, I'm not an icon in that same in the same way that like someone like Mos Def is, but. 
as someone who was a part of media, like I wrote for XXL, I wrote for The Source, I yeah, wrote for yeah. AllHipHop.com, like I was a VJ on MTV2, you know, my my thesis, I need to publish my fucking thesis because my thesis is literally, my thesis is about the hip-hop album as a continuation of the African-American narrative, which is an imperative part of our, like, existence in this country. Like, we didn't get to write our own story. So... It, we, you know, we weren't even allowed to write, right? So, like, the the hip-hop album has become, like, a, a continuation of that as well as a continuation of, like, the actual verbal tradition of storytelling and keeping culture and, and legacy alive. Right. So, like, that's my whole, that's my thesis. Yeah. Um, so, like, these are not... And also, like, I was on radio. Like, you know, so I, I've, I've, I, then I was an artist. I've, I've put four albums out. Like, I've contributed uh, in a pure way i'm a dj you know like it's not like i was there because it was cool right it was because it was your passion and you felt it was your responsibility and it gave me an identity that i didn't have before so would you call that the the amanda diva period yeah absolutely so when does that shift uh that shifted when i turned 30 for what reason because the music also started to shift to what to a less pop, art, yeah, to like a less art based format, yeah, sure. Um, and a more commercial based, less pure. I don't even know if pure is like the word I would use, but like the things that made me love hip hop just weren't considered paramount anymore. Yeah, it broke apart, right? There were two schools, yeah, yeah and so three. like lyricism and just like the way beats are being made. Also, business became so much more like the focus, yeah, and that was not interesting to me, yeah. Um, and so I and I also it started to be like it started to feel like unserious. And huh. I I don't know if I was just getting older and I I wanted to be more serious. Like I'm going through my Saturn return. I'm like I got to I got to But that's sort of like your point of view is it, it's it's commendable because it is sort of purist because there is sort of like I I'd imagine that time was when you saw the sort of entrepreneurial yeah. hip hop artists that were just spreading it all out mm-hmm. and it was you know time to make the very big bucks. Yes. And yeah. that meant like there was a shift in order to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was, this is like 2011, 2012. Yeah. And, you know, you just start seeing that happen. You're like, okay, this doesn't feel like natural to me. I'm at a time now in my life where I'm like very clearly being able to identify like, oh, this isn't your truth. Like go here. Sure. But there was a long time where I feel like I was just intrinsically doing that. And, right. Um, and also you were like sort of um, a personality within it. Yeah. And and you were a, a sort of chronicler of it. Yes. And a presenter of it. Yes. But I would imagine at the time, in, uh, you know, when you were 30, you were like, I want to be my own well, so Thing. I was I started making music. Yes. So like 2006, I put out my first album, Life Experience, and then I put out four more after that. But I got very disenchanted in that process, also because the the business of it was making me hate the music. Why? Because you didn't feel like you were getting the attention you deserved. Well, one, it just feels like you're just pouring out mm. and not getting anything back. Yeah. What I love about stand up is that, from my personal experience of stand up, there was a meritocracy. Like, I know that that, I'm talking about just mine. Yeah. I know that that's not yeah. the general sense all the time. But I know that, like, I would get opportunities because someone would be like, you're funny. Right. You can do this. Like, it wasn't like, you're pretty, you can do this. It was like, I I saw you go on stage, and then people laughed, and so will you come and do my thing? 
right? Right. Whereas people would be like, um, in music, it was like, yeah, you can sing, but like, what's your story? Mm. <laughs> Who are you? What, what, what producers are you working with? And I'm like, what is it? Did you like the shit? Yeah. Or did you not like the shit? Yeah. There's like the you. you I guess you would start to realize that the actual creativity of it is a tenth of the job, bro. And nine- <laughs> that blew my fucking mind. Yeah. Like, so it's eighty twenty, and the twenty is the art. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm like, well, what are we? Yeah. And I, I like. I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that time. I don't even have that money. <laughs> that would, and, and and given that you you have control issues, that would mean you'd have to delegate responsibility to people to manage the business so, part of it. So. Yeah. I was told I was unmanageable. <laughs> You know, and you're unmanageable also because you're like, well, you can't fucking lead me down a garden path. You know, because like it comes back to trust issues. It does come back to trust issues, but it also comes back to like combining trust issues with you not being a jackass. You know, like that always the case. I mean, how many non jackasses have you met? (laughs) Like I was too like the comment would always be like, you're too smart for your own good. It's like, oh, because I peeped what you're doing. Right. And I'm like, hey, can right. we not do that? And then it's like, ah, why won't you just let me, you know, pretend that I'm actually helping you? <laughs> well, that's interesting, though, because that whole thing where you, you, you know, we're hard on ourselves, right, for whatever reason, you know, and that we think we're doing great work. And then you assume people get it, but they don't really get it. But they're, they're looking to put you in a box somehow. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to sort of sell within that box. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think that they really understand uh, you or, or why are you putting me in a box? Right. But it doesn't mean they can't sell you. But, you know, you're going to feel not authentic about it if you have to, you know, go along with their, their uh, business model. I honestly think, Mark, like mm-hmm. only within the last year did I start to become comfortable with the concept of like, Okay, I'm a commodity. Yeah, but I think that's only because I became I knew me I know me better. Yeah, so it's like, well, if, if I don't even fully know me, how the fuck can you? Yeah, I I see myself as a, a commodity in, in a very boutique way. But I same, <laughs> but yo same, like because yeah. you you also get people that want to like. It's like about discovery, and you know th- we need to get everybody to know you, and then you realize like ah, no no no. If, as long as these 30 people yeah, yeah. that know me and like me, as yeah. long as they're pleased. Sure. And I can make an okay living. I'm, I'm good. fine. <laughs> yeah, they, but business people don't understand that. Well, you know what? I don't desire wealth. Yeah, I don't either. What is that? What? What is what? Us not desiring wealth? Yeah. We listened when Christopher Wallace said more money, more problems. I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't think that that is... Because wealth also requires like responsibility that takes away from like my joy. I am not interested in managing wealth. Yeah, I, I, I don't have the desire. I want enough to help when I want when I can't. I want enough to help when I can help. I want enough to create when I want to create, and I want enough to travel and and eat wherever you want. D- yeah. yeah, like honestly, like I don't need. I don't even need that, but I, that's yeah, what I, I want. I don't get it because I, you know, I've earned some money and I've saved some money, and I don't even really know what to, you know, like what do you like? What do you the, what? I don't know what people are doing with this money. Well, they buy a lot of things. But I, what, but like, like at a certain point, you're just like, how many things can I buy? I, it seems to be part of the game. You know, it's like you hit a certain level where you you buy the twelve hundred dollar you know hat. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> but, 
But I found that for me, the wealth thing was really like, I feel like in retrospect and even now that my creative journey has always been about trying to own myself. Mm -hmm. So the, the most important thing was like, how do I, you know, be my truest self? And, and I don't know yes. that. Right? Yes. So I don't know that that's an, an economically driven journey. It is. You don't? It's not. It's not. But like not everyone has that journey. Many people are just sort of like, this is who I am. This is making money. Right? So, but I, you know, I'm literally like constantly, all my jokes, and I felt this about your 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 comedy as well, is sort of like, well, this is who I am now. If you get it, you get it. But I'm, half of this is for me. Right? Yes. Wow, you got it. You got it. <laughs> I always say that, that, but that's what it is. It's like, this needs to serve y'all and serve me. Yeah. And then it feels good. Yeah. Like, that's where this project came out of. Because I originally was like, okay. The civics project? Yeah. And Amanda, we trust. Yeah. I mean, originally it started out as like, oh, I'm going to do another special. It's overdue. Yeah. I need to do another special. I need to prove. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. These, yeah, I need to prove to these people that I'm going to do another special. And then, like, we shopped around and people were like, yeah, you know, we're not really into specials right now. Or, like, we like you, but we don't like you as much as we did before. Yeah, or, you know, we got $5 to give you. Yeah, here's, yeah, here's, yeah. here's 225 cents. Right. We'll let you use our platform. Right. Yeah. And so my agent was like, I mean, to be honest, I don't know that this is worth your time. If you, uh, unless you do it yourself. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, but of course, the you do it yourself thing is very easier said than done. But I was like, let me just see. So then I was like, okay, do I have enough to like shoot this properly? And I thought I did. And I was going to do it with with uh, Jesse Collins, who's an ex who executive produced my last special. And yeah. he's always, that's my brother. And he's just like down for whatever. But Jesse's heart and his schedule are two different things. Right. So it's like, yeah, I want to do it. And then you look at your schedule, you're like, when the fuck are we going to do this? Yeah. And then I was like, you, you don't have, like, again, you're not wealthy. <laughs> so you could shoot this. Yeah. And it'll be glossy and shiny. Yeah. But you have to fucking promote it. Right. And then get it up. Some. What were you going to do, the YouTube thing? Ah, uh, yeah, that was the, you know, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to do all this. And then I, I got real with myself. I'm very good at being real with myself. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Uh yeah, you don't got it like that. So then I like saw this footage I had yeah. from a previous show, and I was like, mm, "This is good footage. I could do something with this." Yeah. So then I was like, "Okay, well, that's gonna what we're gonna do. We're gonna take this footage. We're gonna do some interstitials. Yeah, that'll bump it up. Right. And then that's what we'll do. Yeah. But then um, then we shot the interstitials. Yeah. And then I looked at the footage and I was like, eh, it's yeah. not." The interstitials are so much stronger. Right. And it was one of those things where, like, we went to shoot these interstitials. You're, you're, you mean talking to people? Talking to, well, we, we, there's a little arc, there's an arc there, and, you know, the idea is that. So there's a stage performance involved? Because I only saw yes, the, so that, uh, the wait, stuff wait, wait, on wait, 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 I'm telling you the story. Okay. Okay. So there was the stage performance, and then I was doing these interstitials as, like, a B story. Right. But then when we actually went to shoot the interstitials, you know, you're lucky if you get what you needed. Right. We got such an abundance That's of good. dopeness yeah. that I was like, maybe we should just make this the project. Right, right. Because the other part of the stand-up was that I didn't intentionally shoot that for a special. Right. So by the time that we got back around to this, those jokes have like gotten better. They've gotten more developed. Obviously, you know, so you're yeah. like, I don't know, you know, do I want to give this away when yeah. it's like lukewarm? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it got laughs and it did, you know, it did what it could do at that time. But now it's like I'm fucking murdering this shit. Yeah. So I was like, mm. so then we decided to just make the interstitials the project, and it ended up becoming this documentary 
Um, but all the reason I say this, though, is that all of this was because I listened to myself the whole route and I checked myself on. Are you doing this to try to prove to people that you don't even give a fuck about that you're like still funny? Or are you doing this because you want to do this because it feels good to do this? Right. And once I checked myself on that, it was like, oh, okay, now I know what I need to do. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm very proud of myself, Mark. It's great. Mark, I'm very proud of myself. I'm proud of you. I can't even believe I'm saying it out loud. My chest is burning. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself. I might cry. Well, good. I'm glad you feel that I really way. like it. Yeah, that's great. It's a good feeling. <laughs> it's nice to have control when you have control and then you do something where you, you know, like you feel great about it. It's nice to have the control actually matter and not just be some shit that you now, wanted. Now the project is going to be when you put it out into the world to maintain that feeling. <laughs> you know, you're right. And I will say this. Yeah. Um, this is the first time I ever did like a rollout. Mm. You know, where we like actually like took our time to let people know what we're doing. Mm. And it has really been actually very um, affirming to see how people are like, Oh my God, we need this. Like, I'm excited about this. Like, I want to, I want to be a part of this. I want to understand this. So, you know, it being out in the world in that way uh, is something that means a lot more to me than other stuff I've done. Also because it is intrinsically independent not just like monetarily, but like in my mind. Yes. Like it's something I didn't even know I was going to do and it just developed in that way and it feels like that purity that we talked about. Yeah, and it's also a reaction to the political, you know, hellscape that we're in. Yes. And, you, you know, it, yes. its motives are proactive culturally and politically. Yes. And, you know, you're bringing to it the entire, you know, spectrum of y your education and your, your need to uh, inform I mean, I will tell you, like, I've, I started doing, I started getting, so I toured for six months last year. Wait, now, what do you do when you tour? Where do you go? Do you do, wait, did you come up in comedy clubs? Yeah, of course. Yeah, where at? Yeah, in New York. Yeah, which ones do you like? Um, back then there was The Stand. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the original Stand? Mm-hmm, there was yeah. the original Stand, and there was uh, New York Comedy Club, and. You should have a worst. I know, but it was, yeah. but they they put me up, though. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> Al Martin. I wasn't, um, I wasn't choppy enough for the seller yet, yeah. but. Well, that's interesting you know that difference. You, you weren't like a, a killer. No. You weren't wasn't. a jokester. Um, it took time. Yeah. And. Also, like, I came in to stand up late. I mean, I came in to stand up at 32. After so, a life. After a whole life. Yeah. So that helped in some respects, right? Because I didn't have to, like, figure my voice out. Like, I didn't yeah. have to figure out being on stage. Yeah. But I had to figure out being comfortable. Again, like, I, I had to figure out, like, oh, I don't need to convince y'all I'm funny. I'm fucking funny. Yeah. So if you want to be on this ride with me, yeah. join me. So, and it's not an arrogance thing. It's just like a, you stop trying to explain jokes and you yeah. tell them. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I wish I, I, I get, it takes so long, man. Like lately, because I'm rebuilding, I'm doing a new hour. And I, you know, I had no other place to go but deeper into myself. And, you know, there is, it, I, I guess I have a hard time sort of balancing the risk. Like a lot of times I'll get off stage and I'll get to the hotel and be like, why did I tell those people that? Really? <laughs> really? Yeah, and, but it's it's what you were talking about, that need for some sort of transparency to, or to evolve into that. Sometimes it's a little weird. Sometimes yeah. I start to realize, you know, when you get to a certain place with yourself and your life, 
it's like in 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 the culture we live in, you know, you sort of you kind of feel like, do I need to keep some stuff for myself? Yo, because I'm an oversharer. Right. Like, but this has always been the thing, you know. And I I remember my homeboy saying like, I'm very worried about you because you say too much, <laughs> and this is not a world that's safe. They don't right. people aren't people aren't yeah. protective of that. Right. And so you're like, okay, even as I'm like preparing this new book and you know, you're just like, okay, you gotta keep some stuff for you. Um, but what stuff? Because ah. I know that this next hour, yeah, I'm in a I'm in a far more self-deprecating, like self-aware place than I've ever been with my stand-up. You're critical of yourself yeah. and your mistakes that you've come through. That I've come through that I'm still trying to figure the fuck out. Right. You know, like I just got out of this three-year relationship. Yeah. Like that, there's going to be a lot of like, well, I know where I. That guy's going to take a hit. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to write about him than me. Yeah. You know, because there's still a certain protectiveness I have. Sure. And you don't, they, uh, a girlfriend of mine years ago brought it to my attention that, like, I don't get to respond. No. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to take that into mind and, and, you know, decide, you know, how you respectful you want to be. We also just don't want to look like a fucking prick. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's not the self-awareness I have. I'm like, if I sit up behind, I'm like, fuck this nigga. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, relax. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. were with him for three years. So yeah, well, yeah, let's talk yeah. about you. Two to tango. <laughs> let's yeah. talk about how the fuck you were here for three years. Yeah, and then, and then man. I bring my therapist out, and we do a shtick, you know. So, is but, he, really, <laughs> no. Oh. But I just feel like, um, you know, for me, I, I didn't really like figure out my stand up until LA, which is rare because this is not the place where you really figure it out. But you I was can find kinda, a little place. You can I was isolated out. out here. Where were you? Well, just meaning that I came out here and I didn't have like a community. Oh, I had yeah, to just yeah. like figure it out. How long have you been out here? Since twenty fifteen. Uh huh. And I came here knowing that I had done everything I could with New York. So I had no regrets. It was yeah. like, we got to make this fucking work. Right. And then uh, Sam J had... Uh, She's something. That's my dog. And she had taken me to meet Jamie Flam at the Improv. And he yep. was like opening the lab. And yep. they were looking for stuff. What about so, Dynasty? You ever go to Dynasty? Of course. Yeah. Yep. Dynasty. Yep. Shout out to Dynasty Typewriter. And uh, he was like, hey, you know... If you want to do a show in the lab. And, you know, what's so hard about L.A. is that, like, there's just not stage time the same way. So And there's a million of us out here. Trying to, like, make it make sense. So you got to figure out, like, how is your what's your currency that's going to make you valuable other than just being funny? So yeah. I was able to use, like, oh, well, I have a show. Can I come on your show and you come on sure, my show? Because everyone's yeah. trying to just yeah. get time. But you did the Insecure for years. I did Insecure, but I started, well, yeah, but as you know, like, I started shooting Insecure in 2016, but then it doesn't air till October. Right. Right. So and then people don't really give a fuck until, you know, a mo few months after. So it didn't like turn. It wasn't that it's like an immediate like. Well, that's interesting that like not even that that model doesn't even fit anymore. No. It's like you do a show. It's like it'll be on in a year. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it in yeah. a year. But I did it. But I did it. But yeah. I mean, even by season three of Insecure, I was still doing like 130 a.m. spots at the Laugh Factory, you know, just trying like Ugh, I'm still like gosh. driving to the I'm still driving to like Long Beach. Laugh Factory and then oh, that's the coming worst. back up that here. That's a big weird room. It's a very cavernous room. Like then coming back here to do some random shit in the patio in Eagle Rock. Yeah. You know, and then and then Don <laughs> yeah. Marrera is waking me up to get on stage at 1.30 a.m. because I'm curled up on a banquette <laughs> yeah. in the Laugh Factory. You know, so yeah. you're you're still like doing the things, you know, and then um and then something just kind of turned around, like turned over. When you tour, where do you go? Like what kind of rooms are you doing? Now I'm doing theaters. Yeah. Um 
which we all, not that we all know, but it's like, it's a different thing. I'm in that hump between like, stand, I'm, I'm in that hump between comedy clubs and like, I'm blowing out the theaters, you know? Like there's some places where I can do that. Yeah, me too. Philly yeah. always shows right. up, New York. Um, and they're your people. It's yeah. not It's not just 1.30 in the morning at the Laugh Factory Correct. with what's left. <laughs> of who's... Who's who's not trying to go home? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just stay one more, one more. That's the worst kind of intro. We got one more. Anyone? Just stay one more. Just, just please, one more. Please oh. get this guy a drink. Um, and so it's a different. But you get spoiled. Yeah. So what happens is you get spoiled because these are your people. Yeah. And now when you come back home, yeah, you're trying people? to you're yeah, trying yeah. to do show you're trying to do showcase spots at the improv again, and they love you, so they book you because you know they fuck with you, and yeah. so does the factory. But you're like, I don't care about these people that I'm speaking to. Yeah. And I feel like shit doing that. But then and also Live Nation like took me through a fucking gauntlet last year of of fuckery that really like fucked with my head and I needed to just sit down. What they push you too hard? Um they just they didn't do they they didn't promote mm. and then they tried to cancel my shit and then they tried to only pay me half my money. And uh it was just a basic act of just Neglect. It's interesting what you say about, you know, when you perform for your people and then you come back and do the general audience thing, you know, like, because I, I come from the mindset where it's like, well, that was my original job. My original job as an unknown comic yes. was to perform for anybody yes. and make them laugh. That's and, correct. And I still think that way. So yes. like, but part of me is sort of like, dude, you're old. If you don't want to fucking do that. Well, I'll tell you this. But I do it. So much of my, so we talked, you said earlier, yeah. like so much of my work is like to build up, to empower and bring joy, right? Yeah. But when you're in a room of like mediocre white men, I'm not really trying to empower and bring y'all joy. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I'm not trying to falsely. Thanks, pat- for, thanks for including me. <laughs> I knew you were going to like that. <laughs> Hey, if the shoe fits, and if it doesn't, then you're wearing flip flops, sure. so you're fine. Okay, good. But it started to feel like I'm trying to convince, like, or right. I'm like trying to write to make these people understand this joke, and it's like I don't feel like that's my purpose. And so I'm with you. Like I started feeling a crisis of conscience about that, and then I say, you know what you need to do? You need to just sit down because you you toured for six months, which was its own thing, and it burned you out. You also have like a negative experience with it. So you're still burnt out. So like you need to just kind of like sit the fuck down and refresh. And I think I'm also at a point in my stand up where. And some people are going to listen to be this and be like, she's not a real fucking stand up. Like, oh, see, see, there's, look, see the voice inside you. There's a Go point. Ahead. There's a point. There's a point <laughs> in my stand up now where I just feel like I'm not as excited to just go tell jokes. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got a higher purpose. I don't know. I just feel like I need something else to get me out the house. Maybe. I know. I know. I know. Am I? I don't know. You no, know, no. I think you're I, the I elder under- in this, so let me know if I sound pretentious. No, no. I understand what you're saying. Is that like because, like, I, like I said before, whether I'm you know, empowering or bringing joy, I, I, I don't know. But there's some stuff I'm working on now that I did at Dynasty Typewriter for a like-minded bunch of people, mm-hmm. uh, not just mediocre white men, Dope. but usually disgruntled men and women who cool, are sensitive cool. and creative and somewhat <laughs> yes. isolated. Yep. Uh, but uh, but like, I didn't know if I could do it at the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's sort of the challenge with me now. And and, it, and it's it's active because I just went to Salt Lake City, did four shows at a club. Okay. And I was able to do this stuff, to show this part of me because, uh, you know, something I did on my last special sort yeah, of Yeah, but they're still coming one. to the club because you're coming into the club. 
I get it, but it's still a club. And, well, and you know, club is weird. It is. It a, depends. A club is not a theater no matter what. Well, because the they're vibe. Serving, they're serving drinks. You're seeing <laughs> checks drop. Right? There's, you know the there's layout people is there, some weird shit. But you know there's people there that are just sort of like, let's just, just go came. to comedy. Like, I, I got well, off stage. it's better than the casino. I won't go to the casino. Because See, the I know myself enough. Shit. I won't do it. You don't do that. There's no I reason. I did it once, and I'm like, I'm good. No, you don't do that. No. Why do that to yourself? I know. <laughs> you just, I mean, I did it. Well, one, I was opening for Roy Wood Jr. So there was He's that. He's the best. He's the best. How'd he do at the casino? He did really well, but it was we were both like, wow, you know, this was an experience. I mean, I got a joke out of that that I did on, uh, why am I blanking right now? What, Kimmel or Fallon or... Seth Meyers? Seth Meyers. Okay. Jesus Christmas. Sorry, Seth. Sorry. Um, I haven't eaten today. I'm hungry. But I did it on that show, and it came out of me and Roy going to like a Morongo or whatever, the f- Mohegan Sun yeah. in Connecticut. And we're sure. in the, uh, I know that We're place. in the Uber. Not Foxwoods. Mohegan and Sun. the driver Sun, yeah. is like, man, Donald Trump looks really good for his age, doesn't uh-huh. he? <laughs> Yeah. We're both just like, where is this going to go? <laughs> yeah. How is this a setup for us <laughs> like, taking the drive to the gig? You know, so, but I just. But that's a weird thing we do. You know, it's like, it, <sighs> fuck. But you do it because you're like, well, who am I not to do it? And then you do no, it. No, no, but like, I just mean that, you know, we take information like that. Like, I'll get on stage sometimes and I'll look at the audience and be like, there's no way yeah. that they're getting. But you know what? We don't fucking know. That's know. a voice in our head. Yes. And it's like, it's a nightmare. Because you don't know. Sometimes you do. I've been doing it long enough to know when an audience feels weird. Yes. But but sometimes, like, I look at people and I make an assumption and, you know, it's just not correct. But it's also as basic as, like, am I having a good fucking time? Oh, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, am I having a good time? I'm not, I'm not having a good time. Do Let you, me go are home. You, are you good at having a good time? Yes. Oh, that's good. It took a long time. Like, it, there was a certain point in my life where my mom would just be ex, just so ecstatic that I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> what is it? Because, like, you're too hard on yourself? Is that it? Because I, I, I try to figure out why, you know, for me, I'm just, I always say, like, you know, uh, joy takes too much work. And uh, <laughs> that's fair. You know, it's, well, it's freedom. You, you got to like, let go. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's some exercise. But where do you get that? What, what do you, where did it come from? What, was it because, like, you were hard on yourself or what? I mean, what? I was hard on myself. I was hard on other people. Um, I also just was waiting for the shoe to drop. And so, it took time to have to. It took a nervous breakdown, and then the rebuilding. When was that? Twenty nineteen. Uh, twenty twenty. Really? Mm-hmm. For real? Yeah. When you start thinking about killing yourself, I mean, that's for what real. What the fuck happened? Twenty was COVID. Uh, it was before COVID. What happened was I just, I just filled up. I just. It was just. I just never. Uh, I never really realized how much of me was based on ever, everybody else. External. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a codependent breakdown. And, uh, and I'm in a business where, like, they're not protecting you. Yeah. I was on The Real. Yeah. And, you know, let me say, I left The Real, and I have my qualms at The Real, and I had my nervous breakdown at The Real, but The Real was just like the straw. You yeah, know sure. I mean? there's The camel had been like, let me up. What, what was the problem there? You couldn't say what you wanted to say? Um, they were just mean. Oh. And that's a morning talk show? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really mean, and it was like, I, w- and I went in there thinking I was going to be in a beautiful place yeah. and found out, like, oh, y'all are fucking mean. Um, yeah. And I know that may sound juvenile, but, like, who wants to get up at 4.30 a.m. for some fucking mean shit? Yeah. 
you know, and then uh, I had like a nervous breakdown while I was there. I mean, people, I will say this, people should have known when I came on screen with three cornrows yeah. that something <laughs> was amiss. <laughs> but then again, you were relying on other people to make that determination. And I'm like crying. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I was crying. I cried for, you know, a good 24 hours. I'm like literally in the makeup chair crying. She can't even do my fucking makeup. I'm just crying. And no one's saying, you don't have to do the show today. Uh, so how long did this, how long were you in it? I was in the real. No, how long were you in the breakdown? Um, so I did the show. Yeah. Went home. Yeah. Proceeded to continue. Then I, well, my assistant was like, okay, I'm calling your mom. So your mom's going to come tomorrow. Oh, so you were um, just miserable and depressed and despair. Oh, because you were locked in. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't, I couldn't in my mind figure out how I could be myself mm. and be happy mm. in, in 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 a general sense just that basic like, that was it how because clearly being myself is not working for the world yeah i know that one so how does this shake out well i've, I've got to kill myself <laughs> that's, I, that's the math I, like, yeah i do a little of that and i also do a little like why don't i just disappear there you go <laughs> Shaking it up. Yeah. Fuck just, it. Fuck yeah. y'all. I can just get out of show business. Poof. Yeah. I'm going to start a scuba shop in Australia. Exactly. Did you get that one? Did you have fantasize about? Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's healthier than suicide. The, uh... Well, it is. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, my therapist at the time, I had, yeah. a really, I had a really good therapist. She's retired now, but she, yeah. she was like, this feels very daunting for you. And that is a real feeling. Yeah. But as someone on the outside looking in, I want you to know that the only thing that's happening here is you've lost your confidence. And that is something that we can rebuild. Mm. This is not um, the end of the road for you. Right. This is the beginning. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm just yeah. like, and then she gave me like very practical things. Like you're going to do boxing. Yeah, like you're going to do boxing mm. because you are suppressing so much anger mm -hmm. because you don't want to live up to the stigma that you have which is that you're difficult so mm. now you just suppress it so that you don't look difficult but right. that doesn't go it doesn't just go away it goes yeah. into your tissue it goes into your sure. cells and now like it's fucking circulating and circulating and circulating so she was like we're gonna get you in boxing so you need to kinetically the first punch yeah i was like i'm healed yeah yeah like, sure yeah then she's like you're gonna do affirmations and yeah she was like, what about the secret? And I was like, okay, that's a little too. <laughs> to draw a so, line. Yeah, it was so I started shit. doing, uh, I started listening to Paolo Coelho's The, the Warrior of Light. Hmm. Um, a homeboy on Instagram had suggested it to me. Started reading that. And that was like, but I, I guess the thing though is that I took my wellness more seriously than I had ever. Like, you know, people are like, go to therapy, you know, meditate. And I would like dabble. But you, this you time, guidance. I was like. If I was like, if I don't do this, I will die. Right. I need help. Yeah. And so, I, but I got the help from me. Yeah. Like I didn't abandon myself and I didn't abandon myself because people around me were like, don't abandon yourself. It wasn't like, we're going to save you. It was like, you're going to save you. Get fucking focused. And I did. And I had to rebuild myself. And I, I'm, I'm still doing that. It's interesting, right? Because what we need to be creative people is essentially pretty fragile. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we build these sort of personalities mm. to deliver the goods, Bro. right? And then when you come back to it, you know, whether it's abandonment shit or whatever you grew up with that gave you this sort of fragile sense of self, mm -hmm. 
you know, once, you know, all the other shit that you put in place to, to protect it breaks down, you, you have no grown up ability to fucking, you know, live in the world. None of it. Yeah. No coping mechanisms. Yeah. Right. I am becoming a grown up before your eyes. Yeah. I know. Isn't no, weird? literally like I, a month ago realized I have to grow up. Yeah. And that's why my relationship ultimately ended because I was like, we have to grow up yeah. and he wasn't ready. Yeah, I just don't, I don't always, I mean, I think I'm emotionally like 15. You probably are. That's terrible. Well, there's things to do about that. Have you ever heard of the Cognitive Behavioral Workbook? What is that? I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a game changer. Yeah? Yeah, because it just gives you, it just takes the the esotericness of emotions and makes it really like plain. Well, I think what, what, what it comes down to is, is like, you know, whatever I'm afraid of or whatever's stopping me and whatever caused it is very old stuff yeah and now you're just like this grown person you're like this child emotional child in a grown-up body who's still you know and i'm letting it live right and i've and i've noticed that but like i don't know i just assume but there's practical ways though to change that no so he's he's not just going to catch up (laughs) like you have to like literally commit yourself what is this cognitive workbook it's this dope workbook that really just kind of just called that it's a cognitive behavioral workbook who made that I forgot the author's name, but All you can right. get it on Amazon. Sure. But cognitive behavioral therapy is literally the... No, it's the shit, yeah. It's the practice of like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to re... Yeah. Acting as if. Yes. I get it. And uh, on a basic level, it just gives you language and practicum All right. to be happy. <laughs> okay. All right. And I think we have to decide, like, I deserve to be fucking happy. Yeah. But a lot of people don't really believe they deserve to be happy. Yeah, why is that? Because they were convinced somehow in their childhood that they didn't deserve it. And it was probably by some fuck shit that had nothing. I, I know it was some fuck shit that you had nothing to do with. And it's a cycle that continues. And so you internalize it. Yeah. And it could be something as basic as like you fell off your bike and this person said to you, you see, yeah. you'll never be able to ride a fucking bike because you ain't shit. And you're like, I am. You're sure, right. And, and, I am not shit. Right. And the, But that's also the... In, e, e, internalizing of your dad's distance. And that's was done with a child's mind. Sure, of course. So it's in my body yeah. based on some based on a brain yeah. that didn't know what the fuck was going on. But blamed itself. And even though I'm older, I yeah. can logically be like, oh well this happened. This happened. Yeah, yeah. But it's cellularly I know that's the yeah. And so you got it there's a there is an in, there is an intelligence. There sure. is an intellectualism that has to be applied. And I feel uh. like uh when it de- I feel like I'm coming into like a new spatial awareness about like all that shit. Yeah, me too. And it's like it's 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 making me a little unstable. Yeah, I know, but it's it's good. It's yeah. like when you start lifting weights and you're like shaking because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like making your your muscles are trying to get it. Yeah. And then you keep doing it. Yeah, all right. we have to keep doing it. All right, it, Mark. we will. We will. Okay. We'll be better comics. Okay. Do we? Okay. Can we? We we did. Did we do it? We did it. We fucking did it. Good talking to you. Amanda Seals, I enjoyed talking to her. Um, you can get her special in Amanda We Trust at inamandawetrust.com. Watch her HBO special, I Be Knowing on HBO. Hang out for a minute, folks. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. 
I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Okay, listen, for full Marin listeners, we've got an episode of Mark on Movies posting tomorrow about changing lanes. And if you want to get in the mood for that, about a year ago, we did a bonus episode about Michael Clayton. Why? Why? Because people are fucking incomprehensible. That That is uh, as, as good of a, a line of dialogue to kind of define our show as exists in any movie. I feel like that is like... Uh, 90% of all the um, questions we have and answers from guests on this show. I think about it every day. I think about it every day. I don't think about Sidney Pollack saying that line, but certainly I've talked about that line with guests and with and with people, that moment that uh, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think about it every day in the sense of how we generalize about people. And then you can just be sitting somewhere anywhere where there's people about and realize like, oh my God, I know nothing about that person's life. There's no, there's, you know, we're all similar in a species way, but I don't know, like, what could that person's life look like? Right. For example, Argus Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Not a day does it go by where I'm like, what, what does that guy do every day? If Argus Hamilton was a, uh, a, a white-collar litigant, do you think yeah. that he would have at some point gone through a manic episode and stripped off all of his clothes and ran through the parking lot? Yeah, cocaine-fueled. <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't have been general mania. Right. Okay. It would have been like, I'm not sure he hadn't done that. Not as a litigator, <laughs> but as a just a, a comic who was having sex with Mitzi Shore in the mid-70s. I think he was, there's probably a lot of naked running around, perhaps outside. <laughs> Get bonus episodes twice a week and all WTF episodes ad-free when you sign up for the full Marin. Click on the link in the episode description to subscribe or visit WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. Here's me and my new guitar. It's an old guitar, 1974 Telecaster Custom. Straight into a old 53 Deluxe.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere.